The financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hello, everybody. For today's episode, Paul Fagan got caught up at work, but, you know, we're going to keep the show going here. Today, our special guest is Vince Sorb. We'll discuss how Vince's organization, the National Financial Educators Council, and within that, uh, before we get there, though, I do want to reach out to our growing global audience, whether you're in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, or India, all places we're growing right now, which is really amazing and great. Please send us your questions. Maybe we could do something a little bit more localized for your area. So please email us and let us know. So let's get going here. Vince is the CEO of the National Financial Educators Council. After spending 15 years in financial services, he founded the National Financial Educators Council. Say that fast a few times. Uh, in 26, uh, to advance his economic empowerment through financial education. Any avid listeners of the show know Paul Fagan and I are really adamant about trying to get education out there. And we really desire to be started in the schools with the kids. So this is right up our alley here today. He's also one of the country's leading advocates for promoting financial literacy and a thought leader in teaching and scaling financial wellness programs. Well, let's get started. Uh, Vince, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate it. So, Vince, tell us a little bit about uh, and our listeners and everyone about your journey. Yeah, you know, I think I had a similar journey in some ways to some people. Uh, Initially, I had a little more interest in personal finance from a young age. I was always starting side businesses, always saving money, you know, from selling uh, uh, baseball cards to selling lizards at school, which actually got shut down. I had to go on the black market there for uh, a few months, (laughs) so I got fully shut down. Um, And in high school, I was in the back of the class reading books on foreclosures, real estate. I always had that interest in building businesses, acquiring real estate, investing as a whole. I'm just passionate about it at a young age. And I followed through on that passion buying my first piece of real estate at 19 uh, and adding to my real estate portfolio, buying some stocks, still in different businesses from selling protein powder to other things. And everything was going good at that time. And uh, the thing I remember most that I really enjoyed was when people would ask me questions, right? So it was first my friends, my peers, and, and those people around me, uh, people at, at work. I was also uh, uh, did, had some side jobs, too. Um, and then it became my parents, my parents' friends. And that was good. I really enjoyed that time, that period in my life. Uh, then I made some financial mistakes. <laughs> Things didn't, weren't always so rosy early on. Um, but uh, I, I ended up getting into financial services as a way to help people like myself avoid those mistakes. Um, and I was in there for 15 years, a variety of different areas. Uh, and uh, my last uh, uh, real area that I focused on was in mortgages. Uh, and that was an interesting time. And I realized I wasn't the only one making some mistakes. And a lot of the people that came to me were in trouble. So I'd take the extra time, especially early on in my career. Uh, so I'd refinance somebody, pay off all their debt, pay off all their credit card bills, work mm-hmm. out a budget. You know, I'd get excited with them for their plan. 
and I'd send them off into the real world. And then they'd come back three, six months later, a year later and say, Hey, I'm, I need another 50,000, right? Well, what happened? Right. And they just got back into the same behaviors and, and, and issues that they were in before. So I felt I was really putting a bandaid on, on people. And uh, so I went up and visited my folks up in Montana and I was really at a point in my life where I'm like, what do I want to do? Yeah, I, I love helping people with the money, but I, I didn't feel totally fulfilled in that industry. Um, and my mom said, hey, remember you always used to talk about bringing financial literacy into schools. So uh, shortly after that trip, I, I quit my, uh, uh, well, I was, had a business in mortgages um, and uh, I quit and started full-time financial education. That was in 2006. I founded the National Youth Financial Educators Council at the time. We would just serve teens and young adults. That shifted to the National Financial Educators Council today, which we serve all ages, kids, teens, and adults. And that's been my focus since 2006. Wow, that's a pretty amazing story there. So you're selling lizards, baseball cars, <laughs> uh, things like that, and then mortgage or working on mortgages and refinance. Uh, I'm sure along the way you've, you've made some... Uh, and you even said mistakes, right? So I'm gonna usually I say that question for the end. But I'm gonna jump right to it here. So what would you say was your biggest financial mistake? Yeah, I think it was just really not getting the foundation down and getting into early debt, right? I think this is a common mistake a lot of people make. Um, you know, I, I love the big stuff. I was always thinking, hey, how do I make, earn, and grow? Uh, my finances, invest, I mean, that was the sexy stuff, right? Mm. Um, but the foundation stuff, I did not have down. I also got into college debt, um, which put me behind, and I was struggling to kind of keep up. And I made the brilliant decision early in my college years to uh, get a lot of credit cards. I, w I was always very frugal, I still am today, uh, but I made investments with credit cards. <laughs> As Ooh, any listener of your show... Yeah, they know absolutely do not follow what I did. I mean, I paid the price, right? And um, so that cost me not only, you know, just a base level security that I did have, uh, but, you know, emotionally draining. You know, you went from a position where people looked at you for advice to you were embarrassed almost about your financial situation. And I realized then, hey, there was a lot of emotions involved with money and just uh, impacted me in many ways. It went from being able to enjoy times out, friends, family, doing those things to scraping couch cushions, crossing my fingers that my car wouldn't break down. It was on the final leg, um, you know, eating the cheapest food. I knew where all the deals were, the $3 <laughs> uh, for, for uh, you know, two full-size meal uh, burger things. Um, I knew all those, and it was just a, a stressful time. It impacted not only my, my health, emotional state, my relationship, um, but just general enjoyment of life. Um, and I think a lot of people I talked to, uh, talked to over 20,000 people one-on-one -on -one over the course of my financial service career and financial coaching. And a lot of it stemmed from those early decisions that just snowballed. People got behind the eight ball and it was just a struggle to get ahead and those are formidable years when money can really benefit you the, the most. If you're saving and investing early, right, that has the biggest chance uh, for people to get to that next level. And I was doing just the opposite, which I think a lot of people do out there. Wow. 
Wow. So let's go in a little bit about your organization here. Um, What would you say, what's the mission of your organization? I mean, it sounds pretty simple and straightforward, but I'd like to hear it in your words, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's, it's, it's shifted over the years. Initially, we're boots on the ground out there leading financial education programming and coaching. Uh, but then we realized to scale and to reach everybody that's needed, right? Uh, when we look at the country, the vast majority of people need a financial education, whether it be a podcast, a class, a book, just any type of knowledge and, and, and support people need it. So we're boots on the ground out there doing these programs that range from started out at libraries uh, then grew into thousand person events with celebrity sports stars like Wilmer Valderrama was one of our early supporters, John, Sally, Seth Joyner. So we had a lot of people out just to create excitement around personal finance. And during that time, a lot of people started to ask us, hey, can we utilize your material? Can you help us develop that programming? So about a, a decade ago, 11 years ago, we really shifted uh, from that to mobilizing people in local communities that feel passionate about this cause of financial education and financial wellness um, and providing them the training support and resources to empower them uh, to develop programming in their communities. Uh, We're also focused on on leadership within the industry, setting standards, doing research and advocating for the adoption of financial literacy, not only in schools, but within households and other organizations as well. Wow. That's a, that's great. That's a, a very uh, virtuous mission there to try and help people. And uh, people, as you said, get into a lot of trouble. And it's and the advertising and the credit cards, the enticements make it so easy. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, 0% interest. Oh, that's for maybe 90 days. And then next thing you know, you're at 20%, depending on your credit score, of course. But, yeah. wow. So with all this education, everything you're doing then, how do you measure the outcomes of the individual's that you're trying to strengthen their finances for? And can people use these indicators themselves? Yeah, great question. And, and, you know, I think although a lot of people call us a financial literacy organization, really literacy is, is contained to content knowledge, right? Can I define what ROI is? Do I know what a good credit score is? But really we're focused and I know you're focused on outcomes. How can I help people strengthen their finances so they can live a more rewarding, fulfilling life and have security um, in case anything happens, like we've seen COVID inflation, uh, high gas prices, all that stuff that's coming up right now that people are unprepared for. Um, So uh, we're really focused on two things. Uh, First is outcomes and then the leading indicators of positive outcomes. Some of the leading indicators we use and our coaches and educators use and that we suggest people use as well Uh, Start with a plan, right? Having a plan, having a direction, something you can follow that's going to lead you to where you want to be. Having the systems to help you with that plan, uh, whether that be uh, automating your finances, setting up a calendar to do certain activities, uh, to do certain tasks. Um, having the sentiment, uh, a positive sentiment regarding money. So a, a good relationship, which starts with confidence in making decisions, right? Uh, so can they confidently make decisions that are going to take them closer to their path? Um, and then do their behaviors match their plan and what their vision is for life? And that's a, a big one. We saw a lot of people get away from during COVID, right? They're locked down, they're stress buying, they're on, on Amazon. Uh, so we saw a lot of people just shifting their behaviors quite rapidly. 
Um, and also as they are starting to get to a more secure position where they have risk capital, are they getting those team members that can be trusted? So all those are what we call leading indicators. So uh, how I'd suggest people look at it is, is evaluating each one of those and seeing, hey, are those in alignment with your longer term vision and plan? And you have some clear outcomes set for yourself. Uh, but that's what we use. That's what we suggest our, our educators use. And the, the goal is to really look at personal finance as holistic. Uh, okay. You mentioned advertising, right? It's, it's, there's, we've been influenced since we were kids to make purchases by. So we need to really take a holistic approach. And, and that's why we, we do diverse indicators, like I mentioned. Wow, that's, that's neat. So uh, shifting, I'm going to change it up here. I know we usually write out questions ahead. I'm, I'm going to throw one in here quick for Perfect. you, Vince. One of the things we talk about is, you know, credit card debt and credit score. You brought that up and, you know, versus cash sometimes. Uh, I do prefer using cash. I, I hate using credit cards. But, of course, during lockdown, everyone's ordering everything. So obviously yeah. credit card utilization went up during that time. Did you see, you know, over the past two years in the current state of the world, did you, I'm sure you saw that going up with some of your people, but did, are they able to control it using your, your techniques or do they, and do they really understand what's happening? Great question. You know, uh, we're, we really work directly with the educators and coaches themselves. Um, but what they reported really ranged, right? So it, it, when we look at somebody's, uh, a person, we're always evaluating them based on their willingness to change and, and adopt new behaviors, right? So we use a thing called the trans theoretical model behavior change. Sounds fancy, but it's not. It basically means, hey, there's some people that aren't ready to change. Other people, you'll give them a little bit of information and they'll go. Uh, so it really has to do with the people. Now, our coaches and educators are working sometimes with mandated courses. So an employer will bring them in, a, a nonprofit will bring them in, a school will bring them in. When you have that situation where everybody has to attend a, a set class, you're going to see a variety of success rates there, right? Um, mm -hmm. With the people that aren't in that state of change and ready to take action, not performing as well as those that do. Ideally, when we have those people that aren't ready to make change in their life, we take a much longer, looser approach when we have complete control. So where we're building up reasons, building up benefits and giving them bite-sized nuggets to tackle. And oftentimes people get into the state after a few bad things happen, right? I remember my time after I got into financial problems, I didn't even want to think about my finances for, for a while. Um, so it, it, the outcomes really vary. I wish I could say, Hey, if you gain and improve your financial knowledge, the world's going to open up. Um, but there's always challenges along the way. There's a bit of luck involved too. Um, but when we see people following the plan, when we see people completing activities, doing the lessons, checking in with their coach and, 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 and really engage, we do see regular success. Wonderful. So with your local partners and, you know, how do they, what do they do to help these key performance indicators? How, how do you support them? Yeah, so we work with a, a variety of groups. So I mentioned some where we're, we're, we're actually our educators and coach are bringing in and helping them, but we have some nonprofits, schools, colleges, financial service professionals, entrepreneurs, uh, faith-based groups that are actually delivering this to their own internal organizations 
and the broader community. So uh, we want to support those people that are passionate, whether it's an individual that says, hey, I want to do this, or whether that's an organization saying, hey, I want to service my members or the broader community. Uh, and we always start with personnel development. So how do we train somebody so they're competent in delivering financial education programming or financial coaching, which is uh, 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 you know uh, similar, um, but it's uh, working with them individually. Um, and so how do we train them so they're competent, confident in delivering this um, and can create real results in people? Then we uh, supply them with the resources, right? The curriculum, presentations, the software, the training um, resources that they can deliver uh, to whom they're serving. Uh, and the processes surrounding that, I think, are equally as important to creating a professional process, uh, simply because a lot about personal finance, as you know, is trust, right? People listen to you because they trust you. You've given good advice over the years. You have a professional platform, and that's what we want our coaches and educators to establish. So we give them the process, handouts, banner signage, ongoing education, all the measurement tools to prove, and then the support once they do prove their programming to scale, fund, and grow that so they can continue to serve people for years to come. That's neat. So, so you mentioned financial educators, coaches, and, and financial service providers. Yeah. I mean, to the average person, they might lump them all together. Is there a difference? What, what's the difference between them? Yeah, great question. So we really look at financial educators as people educating the masses, right? So uh, their skill sets are, hey, how do I take this group and on a macro scale educate them, even though I know everybody has a different goal, different background, different habits, different behaviors, all these things are different. How do I educate them on a macro scale and effectively do so? Um, so you would be a, a great example of a financial educator because you're educating the masses, somebody teaching a class or a workshop or author, uh, a, a publisher, anybody that's, a, a, you know, anybody creating any type of content is really a financial educator on, on that macro scale. A financial coach is an educator at heart, right? Uh, but uh, they have to do some things prior because they're working one-on-one -on -one with people or with couples. Um, so they're drilling down deep into somebody's financial situation. Uh, they know how much they have in debt, their credit score, their bank account balances, their interest rates on their debt. They know everything about this person uh, and they're helping to diagnose any root causes, working with them to prioritize the steps they'll take, uh, and then providing education and support uh, that will guide them to that next level. Uh, the uh, and, and both the educator and coach stop before giving investment advice. Uh, they don't do that, right? Uh, a financial service professional, insurance rep, CPA, financial advisor, realtor, mortgage broker, all those people are financial service professionals. They offer financial products, but the great ones at heart are also educators. They're educating clients True. in a way, right. but they also have solutions, right? So the, the way I see it, educators and coaches really work and prime them to get their, their base foundation done, uh, work them toward greater financial strength. Um, and then uh, they're really handed off to those investment professionals to uh, make those investments or purchase those products that may protect them, insurance, et cetera. Um, uh, but they all, you know, the, the, the beauty of that is they all have one similar goal which is to help people work toward greater financial wellness. Everybody just has a little different niche in how they do so. Yeah. So I'm, I'm listening to you and, and truly trying to absorb it. 
And looking at the educators and the coaches, probably even more so the coach in my next question here, and that is a lot of people have a lot of anxiety in sharing their information because they're, they're yes. I guess there's probably a fear of being called out for doing all the stuff wrong. So how do you, how do your folks get someone over that hurdle? I, I guess just the fact that they're talking to you is a big step. But how do, you, how do you get them to open up? Is that a common thing, or am I just making that up again that people don't feel that way? No, great insight, and, and that's a big challenge of financial coaches, um, and it really comes down to a, a process of trust building. Some people are very trusting, right? Um, you, you, they see a professional website. They, they have a professional experience. Uh, maybe they had a, a complimentary consultation call, and they feel good. Um, and some techniques we, we share with our coaches is to be vulnerable, share your challenges, right? Just share your story, um, create content that can create uh, so you can get a feel for, so people can get a feel for you without having to talk with you, right? Some people are, are more uh, you know mm-hmm. introspective and, and they don't want to get on the phone right away, but if they feel they know you over time, podcast might be a great way because, hey, I can sit on the other end of, of the podcast, listen to you, Paul, and, and and say, hey, this is a good guy. He knows the stuff. You know, he, he related to me in these points. I would feel more comfortable talking to him. Uh, but it is a challenge of financial coaching. That's one of the main things that we're trying to uh, overcome. Uh, then when it comes down to them working with you, uh, it is a lot of it comes down to calling them out, right? When they say, we, we say, hey, What's your uh, credit card balance? Oh, it's 3200 That sounds like a round number. Is it 3200 <laughs> Or do you have the statement in front of you? Okay, let's get that statement. Now read me what it says there. Oh, 4682 right? <laughs> uh, So, you know, we, we try, we, we do it the sweet way, right? We, we lead them in with, with building trust and confidence and, and, hey, knowing that people make mistakes, we all made mistakes, um, and then when it comes down to it, we need to be that figure that's calling them out. So if we don't get that information, we're failing our client because we're not getting the information that can best serve them. If, if they're you know really in debt 20 grand, they only tell us 10, it's going to be a completely different path we take for them. So uh, the understanding process for our coaches takes about four to five hours total in just mm-hmm. getting the proper information. Um, once we have that in, in that report in hand that, that really evaluates their key financial wellness indicators, then the real work can begin, which is really focused on education and, and having them, you know, holding them accountable for the, the action steps within that education. Yeah, that, that's funny the way you, you did that with the math, by the way. Uh, I'm doing the math in my head that's almost a additional 50% increase in the, in the value and the two numbers you were given there, 3,200 to whatever it was, 46 or whatever. It's pretty funny. Yeah. You know, I, I learned from the mortgage space, right? Everybody comes in, I have an 800 credit score. Uh, you know, my income's good. I should qualify. No problem. You, you pull it up. It's a 400 credit score, you know? It, oh my it, goodness. So I wow. saw that I'm, it, it was drastic and, and you had it the other way too. Um, which, which was sad. I, this is, uh, you know, uh, not a good thing, but people would call and say, Hey, the last guy said, you can't pull my credit score again because I'm on the cusp of not qualifying, right? They didn't have the financial knowledge, but they had a 780, 800 score and they just didn't want them shopping for loans. So you have some people that were just overconfident in their finances, other people that were underconfident and just had no knowledge of where they were at. Really? So, That's uh, crazy. Yeah. So they yeah. went to get a loan, okay? And yeah. then they're shopping and it tells them, oh, don't pull it. 
And the guy's telling him that, think it's going to hurt him, but it's really because he doesn't want them to shop around. Wow. Exactly. Wow. That's yeah, a, that was, that was kind of slimy, calming. actually, the first guy to say that, right? That's a, a very, that's yeah, amazing. Very, and you it, could just go to Credit Karma and pull up your score at any time, sign up for a free account. You get a really good feel for it right there. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I think nowadays, you know, when I was in it 15 years ago, I don't want to age okay. myself, right? <laughs> you but, uh, <laughs> you know, we had, uh, you know, computers with, uh, you know, the, 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 the yep. palm, right? So, um, a little different these days. Um, but still, when, when people are coming into the coaching program or even into financial education classes and we'll talk with them about their finances, they still do not know key things, even though there's things like, credit karma and other things where they can search for their credit score. Um, they don't know their uh, bank balances. A scary thing, I used to do a lot of college events, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd always ask, hey, how many people know how much they owe in student loan debt? Maybe one hand will go up. There's 100 people there. Maybe one, two, three hands would go up. And then I'd ask, what are your payments after you graduate? Zero hands went up. The only time I remember one time, one, 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 uh, uh, guy knew, uh, but he was, he was just so passionate about this. He stayed hour after asking me questions, drilling me on, on these things. So, <laughs> but that's a scary proposition, especially with the cost of college these days. And, uh, but I think that's, uh, pro- uh, 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 symbolic of the problems we're having today with people not having the knowledge to make financial decisions in alignment with their long-term goals. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to it, our listeners, we have a, a really neat episode on uh, the value of college, uh, just published a few weeks ago, I believe, on that one. So thank you for, for bringing that up. It reminded me of that episode here. Uh, so let's go back to your organization, okay? Mm-hmm. And what kind of certification does one obtain from your organization, and how is it accredited, and what are the requirements for certification? Is there is the certification nationally recognized? Like there, there are so many things because everyone hears about the certified financial planner and things like that, and if you could sort of tackle all that as once, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we uh, are I'm, uh, excited to say we are recently accredited. Uh, the three-year process, and we're not just, we just don't have an accredited program. We are now an accredited organization by the IACET, which means we can issue recognized continuing education units. Uh, we have people certified in all 50 states uh, and people that have gone through the training in 60 countries as well, like you, Global. Um, now, our uh, uh, global certification a little different because it doesn't add that content knowledge, uh, but we offer three main ones. One is uh, really centered on knowledge of personal finance topics, right? Uh, the next one is our certified financial education instructor. That is for those that want to teach groups. And really that's focused on the methods and, and uh, strategies to effectively teach groups of, of people. And then we have a financial coaching certification uh, as well uh, to help people work one-on-one with, with individuals. So uh, each is, is different, uh, but uh, uh, the main goal is we want to empower people with the knowledge to be inf- effective instructors. And when we started out on this accreditation process, it actually started about 10 years ago was the vision behind it. Um, we started developing standards, right? So we have the only recognized standards for financial education instructors, no other standards for the actual instructors. Now they have standards for learners, which we do as well, but the instructors need guidance. Right now in schools, they're sending math teachers, science teachers, uh, economics teachers into the class, teach personal finance, but 
as you pointed out, there's so much behaviors um, and, and, and emotional things tied up in this and advertisers influence, as we discussed earlier, um, that it's different than math, right? In math, one plus one equals two. Right. Yeah. In personal finance, it can go so many directions. So it's it's critical um, that these people that are teaching personal finance, especially to our youth, have the skill sets and are able to utilize those education methodologies that teachers use in the classroom every day. The good teachers use in the classroom every day um, and bring that over with the emotional and behavioral side of personal finance. And, and that accreditation agency that you just uh, shared, you you gave us the initials. I, I uh, you mind sharing that again, just in case people missed it or, or what it stands for? Yeah, IACET accreditation. Uh, you know, I would tell you the name, but I always mix it up. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, um, but they're actually the when the Department of Education formed CEUs back in the uh, late sixties, early seventies. They were uh, right there with them, hand in hand, developing this concept of C CEUs for professional development. So that's why we chose them. There's a couple agencies, uh, but that's why we went with uh, the, the largest and most respected. Okay, thank you. So for individuals that do not have the capital to invest now, okay, maybe mm -hmm. they're younger, whatever it might be, and maybe they're just not in a position to work with a financial advisor, what would you say to keep them on track to, for their goals and, and how to help them? Yeah, you know, I think with, with personal finance, a, a lot is consistency, right? And you point this out in many of your other podcasts is consistency. Uh, we, we, we mainly look at the savings rate ratio, right? And, and that for us, that kind of determines consistency. And what that is, is are they, how much are they able to save each month, right? Um, now, does their ratio look like this up, down, up, down? Or is it, you know, study or increasing? So I think that's a good barometer to look at. And what that does, it really accounts for your, your net gain in savings. So if you're adding $200 a month in credit card debt uh, and only saving $100, you have a negative savings rate ratio. Where if you're not adding any to, to credit card debt and you're, you're saving $100 a month, that's a, a positive uh, ratio. So that's really what we're looking at um, uh, for people. And that's what we try to encourage. Hey, uh, and, and really addressing the the key things that lead into it. Hey, income, right? Is your income enough? And do, is your skill sets enough to live that lifestyle you want and save for the long term? And hey, can we address those expenses, narrow those down, short, uh, uh, reduce those expenses um, through a variety of ways, whether it's improving, you know, loan rates through improving credit, uh, just cutting out unnecessary expenses, you know, reducing our, our housing expense. But really, it's a, a lot about personal finance and, and working toward financial wellnesses. If we're able to save more than we spend, it sounds overly simplified, yeah. um, but it kind of is, right? Yeah, it, it is. But I think People get caught up sometimes in the shiny new object, and uh, yeah, uh, that's yeah. why we always talk about the budget and the plan. And and uh, we've had people on about minimalist lifestyle and everything. And it's, yeah. I think you're you're sort of summarizing it well there, right? What what's the plan? Now you, you mentioned the educators, so you know, can you describe go back to that the financial educator, their role, and also their you know raising awareness and advocating for financial literacy. I think you said you do it at schools and companies, but can you go back to that educator role? Because I think we kind of got the coaching thing. It's more individual, mm -hmm. but... Makes sense. 
Yeah. So with the educator, I, I think a lot of it is, you know, segmenting the audience in a way. So what we teach our educators is, you know, when possible, can we segment our audience into needs, right? People are uh, drawn toward what they need now. If somebody wants to buy a home, right, they're going to study how to buy a home via podcast, via YouTube, via classes, however. Um, but if we're, you know, uh, if we have some people in there that want to buy a home and some people that are in debt, it's kind of hard to do a class that's going to really satisfy their short-term needs. So first, it really comes down to segmenting the audience based on, on their needs. Um, and, and, and from that, we can build out a, a course based off a specific goal or, or objective. Um, and with uh, education, when we look at uh, high school students and above uh, and adults, reasons are the number one uh, motivator for people to actually go through, take the time, take the energy out of their day and, and, and complete a training. Um, so when you have a, a, a lifestyle need or a, a specific need that you're addressing, that increases attendance, that gets people more energized. And the best part is they can take action on what they've learned. So the main thing we as educators want to do is, is not just, hey, here's, here's information, right? It's here's information and here's the next steps you can take. So we always tell our educators the training doesn't stop after the course ends. Let's say you have a, a you know eight week course training ends. That's the time for ongoing education, and we can do so many ways. Like you're doing again podcasts, uh, webinars, uh, email, uh, you know, uh, short videos. Um, but continuing that training to give people those steps. Uh, we can get very distracted online. One time you're work, you're watching your podcast, the next thing you're watching a, a cat video, right? So yeah, we yeah. want to keep people directed. <laughs> that, that's interesting about the distraction during the training. It's almost like, all right, put your cell phone upside down on the desk, right? Yeah, you know, yeah exactly. Coaching sessions, probably, except for to pull up to get the credit card balance, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exa you're exactly correct. Yeah, limiting distractions is key. Cool. So I, I'm going to... And I think with my last question here, unless I make up something else, but uh, what would you, this is something we started doing recently and it's, uh, it's really providing insightful. You asked one of the answers, one of the questions already, your biggest financial mistake, but what is a single best piece of advice you've received? Uh, I'm going to give you a, uh, uh... Two pieces, just because I think uh, they're both, I mean, for me personally, uh, early on, it was living beneath my means. So there's, I'm ready for opportunities, right? I, I think that's prepared me to this point. And, and as about, you know, a, a decade ago, the, that, that advice, I still follow closely, but it really changed to doing something meaningful um, where I don't mind, you know, working seven days a week and, and putting in the hours. I, I know I'm making a difference in, in some lives and, 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 and getting out there. Um, and, you know, just really following that, that passion, I think was an important thing for me. I, I was missing that for many years, uh, where I felt like, Hey, I was doing something good for people in the short term. Uh, but now I really want to see, you know, and I'm looking for the next 10 years where I can see what happens there. So, uh, I guess to summarize, say, find that meaningful thing in your life, whether it be, uh, you know, your call to financial education, getting out there, or you're called to help and serve in some other way. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, great. Thank you. 
So I'm going to do my little recap here and, you know, hearing you and, and taking into account what I've heard with a lot of our awesome guests lately, I guess the best thing I heard from you and maybe reflect, like I said, on the other ones is we all make mistakes. Uh, don't be ashamed of them, learn from them and get help. Get help, right? You're not alone. I think a lot of people feel like they are alone, and when they make that mistake, they're embarrassed. Everyone makes mistakes. We all make mistakes every day. It's just what do you do to improve upon that. So that's that's sort of my my, my little takeaway on it there. Uh, so, Vince, you know, I'll give you a, a moment here, your takeaways, plugs, anything, and then I'll go into uh, my last bit of the wrap-up here. Yeah, I think your takeaway summarized it nicely. Um, and if anybody's interested and you are called to financial education, financial wellness, uh, you can visit us at our site, financialeducatorscouncil.org, or connect with me personally via LinkedIn, Vince Shorb, S-H-O-R-B, and look forward to connecting with you. Ah, great. Thanks. So we have, do have a favor to ask of our listeners here. We want to make sure we're continuing to improve our content. And uh, so please you know, subscribe on the podcast again. If someone forwarded this to you, thank you to that person for forwarding it. Uh, please like it, subscribe, subscribe on YouTube. We really appreciate it. And um, thank you very much. So Vince, thank you for being on the show today. With every podcast we do, I, I really do learn something new every time, which is just tremendous. Um, it's actually one of the things that keeps me motivated in doing this. So thanks for everyone for downloading the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out at financialdads.com. So with this, this is Paul Becker reminding you, managing your finances can be stressful. That's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, be kind, and pay it forward. Thank you. Thank you.